Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times, back on tour up in Edinburgh, still on Monday morning, um, a city which is partying like it's 1896, <laughs> penny farthings out just in the road outside of us. You can probably hear her on tour because there's a bit of clattering about in our hotel, but hopefully that'll all sound all good. But yeah, 1896, the last time Scotland won four championship Calcutta matches in a row over England, fully deserved. Um, so, to talk through all of it with us, the two regulars. First, Mark Palmer, our Scottish correspondent, is here. How good to be covering the moral Grand Slam, Mark? <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, it was strangely straightforward, I felt, on, on Saturday. I actually felt comfortable, which is a very odd feeling. But after the high drama of those first two games against uh, Wales and France, it was very, yeah, yeah, all very flat in places, actually. Yeah, there you go. Well... Uh, also alongside us, having penned his Groundhog Day, England have lost on Sunday for Monday piece, <laughs> is rugby correspondent Alex Lowe. Yeah, hello guys. Uh, yeah, there was a very familiar feeling waking up on Sunday morning thinking, right, let's pick through the bones of another Calcutta Cup defeat, another Six Nations defeat, um, which is not, even as a you know, neutral observer, that's not, it's not the fun part of the job. I had hoped that, I mean, Mark and I are sitting here kind of covering different teams, but as an England guy, predominantly covering England, I, I sort of hope that we'd wake up on Sunday having seen England win so that we could kind of give some validation to a lot of what we'd seen before. I, I think after England's first two games, we said we need the context of the Calcutta Cup match in order to judge whether England were the real deal or, or becoming something. And it was just another another step backwards. Um, really, I mean, we'll get into it, but like amateurish at times, like ugly and error strewn and careless, and then and brain dead at times as well. So, yeah, we're we're back in the back in the loop yeah. of England play, England lose. Yeah, but we've had a good time in Edinburgh, haven't we? It's we have had a great, great weather. time in Edinburgh. Thank yeah. you, Mark, for putting that on for <laughs> well, us. It's been class. Of course, my pleasure as always. Uh, well, it was Courtney <laughs> on our pod that everyone would have last listened to on last Thursday, Wednesday, who was saying, oh, mate, it always rains when I come up here. And it hasn't rained once, has no, it? It's been lovely. It was what supposed is. to rain and it didn't. It was, it's been great. Spring-like almost. Well, yeah. it's, it's Scotland who now play all the rugby. They don't want it to be raining. Well, I said we don't want wet Gone days. Gone the days of Duncan Hodge and the boys <laughs> in a bog. <laughs> Get that roof open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So look, everyone, um, as we're up in Scotland, we're going to fo- focus pretty heavily on their win over England, obviously. Um, but all, we'll also get into that absolutely absurd 13-all draw between France and Italy and touch on Ireland, who are obviously 3-3 three for three after their win against Wales. And then do our usual God or Goddess nominations. But first, why don't we get into our analysis of the Calcutta Cup after this? Right, okay, so Scotland 30, England 21. First time, actually, England has scored 20 points for a long time up in Scotland, but didn't matter. Um, anyway. It doesn't matter when you give the opposition 31 points. <laughs> so, Mark, let's start with Scotland, because they won. Um, we joked at the top about the moral Grand Slam, but. Scotland are a properly good team now, aren't they? Like, do, do you still think they don't get credit for how good they are these days? Possibly, although I think you know that may only come in the films of time if if they take that next step of genuinely competing for a title. And I suppose that's the beauty of what, what where they are now. That even despite the the disappointment of that French finale, they are now going into rounds four and five with something substantial to play for, be it only an in inverted commas a triple crown but potentially a championship if things fall into place so they, you know they're on the cusp of taking a step which has so far proved the least and, and maybe that's when the, the real fullness of the praise will come we, we joked earlier about 
France, uh, Scotland loving the good weather because they play all the rugby, but they, they didn't need to on no. Saturday. And what struck me was we were sitting in front of the Scotland coaching box and there were moments where even they were shouting to Finn to move it. And he was just like, no, we're going to kick it in behind England, keep them running at us because it's they keep giving us the ball yeah. back. Like it was, it was a smart, smart game plan. I think so. And I think that performance probably sh- sh- summed up Finn's increasing maturity. A lot of which I think I probably put down to, you know, what he's doing in the Premiership. That ability to control a game now is, is right up there with his ability to pull something out of his backside, which he's been famous for down the years. So yeah, a very mature display from him. And then, you know, in, in Van der Merwe, you've just got a match winner of the calibre that England are, are lacking at the moment. Somebody just come up with not just one, but three decisive moments in the course of a game and, and that was the difference between two you know I'm, I'm not going to say evenly matched sides because I think Scotland were comfortably better but you know Scotland were pretty error students certainly in that first quarter as well but because you know they were feeding off those English errors and you'd have to say prompting them as well with some really good aggressive defence but they, they probably didn't have to play as well as they would have expected to, to, to win the game I think the intelligence side of it really shone out to me like Couple of moments, couple of quick kickoffs that Finn yep. took to catch England unawares, and both of them worked. One one landed on George Furbank, who skewed his kick out. England managed to get the ball back, and then Danny Kerr kicked it out on the full. And you're like, that's a net win for Scotland from just a quick thinking yep. from from Finn. And then second half, he, he did the same, isolated um, George Martin, who you would still have expected to have caught it, but he caught him unawares. Mm. And that sort of streetwise in-game thinking was was really evident, I thought, with Scotland and completely absent with England to the point where Steve Borthwick afterwards was like bemused as to why they weren't correcting what they were doing. And then you into the last five, ten minutes and they're lining up, they're taking 20 seconds to, to, to get the ball out. And you're like, where's the urgency? Where, yeah. Where's the, the thought process here? Can I, can I ask you about Doohan? Um like you've covered a lot of Scotland over a long time. What that second finish maybe is that better than the Twickenham one, or is the best? Is the Twickenham one ahead of that? Well, we actually asked him this after the game, yeah, okay. and, he, what did he and, say? and he inevitably found it impossible to separate the two. They're just two bloody good moments, I think, were his phrase. But they, they just, you know. I think as I wrote my piece today, that somebody that big shouldn't be able to move so quick. It's almost unfair a that he has. Remarkable pace, wasn't yeah. It? And you know, and once that a human of that size builds up ahead of steam, there's no stopping him. I mean, Ben Earl was left for dead, and then they didn't lay a glove on him. Nobody got near him. So just a sensational, natural finisher. And like a lot of people, because well, you can find any opinion you'd like on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. Um, and a fair few people are making the obvious point of he's not really Scottish, is he? Which is something that Craig Chalmers mentioned in your piece the other day of there's only one real Scottish accent in the team. And it's an issue that kind of follows around Scotland. But if we were to flip it, because I don't want to go down that, that route of all the spring jocks and all that. But is this an example of Scotland making the most of out, out of what they've got or and where England are not? And I'm not saying that's poaching players from all over the place. But in terms of they don't have a huge... Um, grassroots system they don't have all these millions of players coming through they keep messing about with what is happening underneath the national team don't they but by hook or by crook they get a good team out on the pitch these days yeah and I think you know with Andy Merrill the point to make is that you know in terms of so-called project players he was he was nothing of the sort he came over as a signing for Edinburgh in 2017 having had a really miserable first spell in Europe with Montpellier barely played came over with a hip injury that actually saw him fail his medical and Daryl Cockers, thankfully, uh, pushed through the deal regardless, which I'm sure he might be regretting now in his quieter moments <laughs> as, uh, with his England hat on. But, um, you know, he then has made a life for himself here. That, he did that spell in Worcester, of course, but he's, you know, he's, 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 he, he, he wouldn't doubt his commitment to the cause for a single second. And I think, you know, just the way he plays and the sort of, um, the, the, the sterling contributions and important contributions he's made in so many high-profile fixtures, he's been taken to the hearts of, of Scotland fans and just no issue there. Craig's wider point, although he made that comment about one, one Scottish accent, which is kind of provocative and, and not actually accurate, but his wider point was was around project players and, and, and what's happened in the past as being a shortcut because instead of investing time and energy and resources into into the system... They've just filled gaps with with overseas players. That, that was his biggest issue. And what I asked him, and I'd be interested to know your thoughts. Wales had great success under Gatlin in his first spell, which 
which was despite what was below. Now, Scotland haven't quite taken that next step, but it does feel that this team, and as, as Will says, what Gregor's managing to, to get out of the players available is almost in spite of what's sitting below it. And how aware are the SRU of having to bridge that gap and make sure that their under-20s team get back into the top competition and, and, and the player pathway is, is, is improved? Absolutely, and I think hopefully they're very aware about it because we, we write about it every week. <laughs> but the... Uh, the there is a separate issue there, as you say, between, you know, the issue of project players. Scotland has, has always been a country that's had to top up its homegrown resources, be it from England and now further afield in the modern era. It's, it's always going to be a small player base. But for me, you know, that's a legitimate strategy, absolutely. But only if you are also doing absolutely everything you can to nurture your own domestic pathway so that that's the icing on the cake and not the core ingredient of the cake. And I think, you know, that balance has definitely become skewed in the last five to ten years. We've had any number of different people come in and, you know, launch strategies and this is how we're going to turn it around. There's yet another one being being put in place at the moment, which involves the throwing out of Super 6 or Super Series as it is now, which was going to be the big bridge between the, the amateur and professional games. So a lot of work required in that area. But, you know, I think it was Gregor himself who pointed out at the end of last year's Six Nations that in the previous four years, I think, of the, of the under-20s team, not a single player had pro- progressed into the playing regularly in the pro ranks, you know, and that's just not sustainable, especially, you know, when we've only got two teams to populate to begin with. So, you know, definitely a lot of work required on that side. And the, and the realities of it, um, which <laughs> was quite funny from Gregor in some ways. So after the game, Scotland have won their fourth Calcutta Cup in a row, all celebrations, and he comes in and goes, oh, by the way, we only had two training sessions with Finn and Ben White um, because of the regs especially the English players, have had to go back to England in the fallow week and they will have to go back to England this fallow week coming up. And you look, you ask Premiership rugby people about it and Premiership rugby fans and they say, well, put your hand in your pocket and pay the compensation. But it does seem a ludicrous thing, doesn't it, that there aren't even any games. That this, this regulation has been in place for ages, but this year there aren't any matches for them to go back to or even any training mark. <laughs> well, that, that's true. Uh, you know, and that's, Gregor clearly felt that the need to get that off his chest because he launched into that uh, run and in inverted commas completely unprompted on Saturday night. So it was, it was something he wanted to come and deliver. I've a limited amount of sympathy for that exact point you've just made that, you know, there are no games. Bath, we know where Finn Russell's going to be going back to and, and Cam Redpath, they're not even training this week. The players are on a week off. Does anybody, is anybody really served by a situation where Finn is sitting in his house there rather than up here spending time with his family, a couple of training sessions to prepare for Italy? However, those regulations are there in black and white. You know, you can have them for five weeks of the seven week period. That, that will hopefully change in 2026 with the, the global calendar. But, you know, is that a case of that to put up or up? Simon Massey Taylor going to Bath this week to knock on Finn's door to make sure he's in. We were having this exact conversation before <laughs> you got in your bed. One of those little post no- office notes. Like, we, we tried your door and you weren't there. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, what's that? Has anyone tried this room in, in Scotland? But there have been fines, haven't there? So, yeah. 2013, it was actually October. It was a November series match, mm. wasn't it? That Wales always play outside the calendar. And George North went and played for Wales against Australia when he shouldn't have done, and Northampton got fined 60 grand. So there are financial punishments there if they do play silly buggers, I suppose. There are, and there's also, you know, if you're Bath and paying Finn Russell the thick end of a million quid a year, you know, you will say, if we want to pay him a million quid a year to sit in his house for a week, you bloody well will, you know? So, you know, I I think you have to be cognizant of their prerogative as well. So just bringing it back to sort of the realities of the Six Nations and, and the matches itself... As you said, Scotland have never been in the mixer on the final mm. day of a Six Nations. Obviously, they won mm. the Five Nations, as we well know, 99, um, the last one. So, does that hamper them at all, that they don't have some of their players? Or because they're so well-grooved now, they probably can just slot in, guys I, like I, Finn I, and Ben yeah, White. Yeah, I, th- I think more the latter. And, you know, there's still, for all that some of the sort of XL guys naturally steal the, the headlines... The core of the team is still very much that Edinburgh and Glasgow core, so they, they are available. They'll be in training this week. So I, I really don't think that Scotland's chances of winning in Rome, particularly, are hampered by not having you know Finn here for two training sessions this week. So I think it's possible to overstate that while also you know agreeing that Gregor does have a point in a, in a wider sense. Yeah. So look, everyone, I'm looking at my dial here, and we've done ten minutes on Scotland. That's really good of us, isn't it? Because England have lost the match, and you would expect, you would have expected, listener, that we would have gone straight in on, on in England, but we haven't. But now we will. Yeah, <laughs> I'm interested to know what Mark thinks of watching England. Like you've you're covering the glory years of Scotland, the Calcutta Cup. 
were you? What were you expecting of England on Saturday, and what what did you make of what you saw? I find them such a difficult team to get a read on, and uh, you know, as I was saying, saying that to Will earlier, and you know, he said, "Well, try try cover them for the last four years because we feel we've been writing the exact same thing <laughs> yeah, for four years." And you think, yeah, well, yeah. It, it does still feel like that. That you know, sometimes you see them think you can see a progression route where things are growing under Borthwick from World Cup to Six Nations, and yet that was just so error ridden, so kind of bereft of, you know, they come out and try and play some rugby, they did, you know, the first quarter and were successful in that, but almost a byproduct of that were the errors as well that then, they, you know, it just became a real mess and difficult to actually see again what they were trying to do, never mind being able to pull it off, so I was pretty underwhelmed, I must say. Yeah, I think there are two ways of we were talking about this last night two ways of sort of assessing Steve Borthwick's regime, if you like. I think those of us who are writing about it every day are probably more inclined to to look at last year as as a standalone mm. project and just get as far as they can in the World Cup and they made hard work of a pretty soft draw but they got there and they finished third and then to look at this year as a start of something new but I my sense is and it was certainly the feeling on the tram leaving Murrayfield that England fans don't look at it that minutely. Mm. They just look at their team and look at a team that they keep being told is building and building and building. And as the lady who spoke to us on the tram said, they've been building for five years. It's like, when are they going to get anywhere? And I think that's one of the challenges that Borthwick has that maybe Gatland with Wales doesn't have because it's a, the PVAC era ended and it's like he started again when he's got rid of a whole... Borthwick's tried to straddle eras a bit with keeping some experience because of he knows he needs to, to win now mm. because it's England and the expectations are, are upon them. But he carries a baggage of the previous era and a frustration and an impatience of England fans who want to see a, a product on, on the field. They want to see performances and, and wins. Yeah. You know, England have two from five, three years in a row. And it's maybe only... The, the kind of the unraveling of the French that might give them hope of, of, of bettering that this year. Well, I, I suppose the Gatlin point too is that if if Borthwick came in with the Eddie baggage, the Gatlin's coming in with his own positive baggage of all those Grand Slams and titles from from before. So the fact we'll get onto them in a bit, but the fact that they're not from three, everyone goes, "But hang on, Gatty's got a plan." Kind he'll of build. Thing. He'll build the, pre- the yeah. The expectations different in a in a positive way. I I, I like I said at the outset, I, I was really disappointed in England because what what I not expected to see, although I did think that they'd edge it because I I was perhaps allowed myself to believe that the positive elements that they're working on were gonna there'd be another stride forward. Um and it just didn't happen. Like that for the first twenty they controlled the game and they were ten nil up. But without the errors, they'd have they'd have been seventeen nil up. And and that they needed that they needed to, to, to maximise that period. But they would even that period which feels like they played really well. There were passes to the floor, um, misdirected passes, passes to the head. Mm. Um, when Xander Ferguson had to go off for the for the HIA, um, that was a chance for England to attack Scotland scrum, and they get they gave away two stupid free kicks and just allowed overleaning. You know, that, yeah, all of those errors in that in that first twenty. They, by almost by the end of it, they were still ten nil up, and then. Then they opened the back door and the scholar went and, and, and ransacked it, and it's just, you know, it, it's a step backwards, and it's a real, it's a real problem because I think the, the fans are just frustrated and impatient, and yet you, it's very obvious that the end game of this team is a long way off. So, so my my feeling when Steve Borswick and some of the players came to speak to us in the mix zone afterwards was they were all a bit stunned as well. And they didn't really, and like, it's quite soon after the match, so it's now Monday morning for us recording here. They'll probably have some more answers and would have watched it back loads, like we have. But they sort of couldn't really believe it, and they were just sitting, sitting there dumbstruck and going, I just don't know why we can't catch and pass. And, and there's, there's been a lot of talk from Steve Borswick about cohesion and looking enviously at the other teams and going, well, look at their cohesion and look at their cohesion. And, some of that you can go, okay, fine. It was a backline that hadn't played together. But you go, Danny Kerr, 99 caps. George Ford, 94 caps. Henry Slade, 60 caps. Elliot Daly, 67 caps. Ollie Lawrence has played with Slade a few times before. 
Um, you can't tell me those guys cannot catch and pass. No, that, it's no. just the so time, strange. It, weirdly, the timing was off. Ford to Furbank, there were two, into, two drops in two minutes, the second one which led to uh, Duan's try. Um, Ford to Lawrence a couple of times. It was Slade to Earl a couple of times. Oh, they've played together. It was just everything was, was a, a beat off working. Um, and then, and it was interesting that the, the live reaction from coach and players was, well, the first 20 minutes was what we wanted. And then we stopped, then we went off the game plan. And I actually wonder whether when they look at look back on it like like I did yesterday that that first twenty minutes was largely what they wanted in terms of the control that they could bring to the game. But the error, the warning signs were already there. Yeah, the errors absolutely. were already there. And what happened was when they didn't have the control, the errors continued, and it, and it just compounded itself. And and I think what what Borfoot said about I want to understand what shifted from the first twenty to the second twenty was simply that the scoreboard changed. Um, because Scotland scored that brilliant try, and then and then the counter try off the knock on, and suddenly England are not getting the control they want, but they're still trying to play, and they almost weren't building phases in the way they were, they had been trying to, and and then they they couldn't get a foothold in the game, and and then Finn was just smart, you know, especially yeah. in that third quarter, just putting the little kicks in behind. Forcing England to come back from deep. And to that point, I mean, the ability to sort of fix things on the run, which seemed to be completely yeah. beyond England, and yeah. has been for Scotland on many occasions, but they, they really did do that on Saturday. You know, you saw Finn kind of huddling them up early on. I, I presume talking about the splits defence, which we've been going on, banging on about at length before the game, but. Didn't really you know, see it, did we? But, after but, the last well, but actually, they, they adjusted to it and, you know, you started finding ways over it, under it, through it, rather than this, you know, always wanting to go wide, which, you know, they pulled off spectacularly on a couple of occasions, but there was a variety to Scotland and a, a clinical edge that just wasn't there with England. I mean, I think, you know, the first three visits to England 22, they came away 17 points, which, you know, mm. it's pretty remarkable, really, and contrasts sharply with what we were seeing from, from England. So if we, if we widen this out, so on, firstly on the skill thing, that is quite alarming, isn't it? major skill errors in a test match. So are they yeah. doing enough work on this in the week? That we, we get told by teams like Northampton and Bath, they, they touch the ball a hundred times a session, always hands on the ball. And I remember being at Northampton when they've had breaks and we talked with Jamie George on our pod about the break that, that's coming in the Premiership and it actually weirdly does take you time to get back feeling the ball, which sounds odd for a professional rugby player, but they do so much ball work, skill, 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 all the time. They're England doing too much kicking and chasing and more defence in training and not enough actually playing with the ball. I don't think they'd be doing too much kicking and chasing because that's a lesser part of their game. It's still an important part of their game, but they've. it's what's so bemusing about it. I mean, A, these are professional rugby players. Like, George Ford is one of the best d- distributors in the game. You know, his whole game is about making other players around him look better. And yet he... He was throwing passes that were too, too far in front of Ollie Lawrence and at the at George Furbank's face. Like they're, they're, everything was off a beat. I don't believe that George Ford skimps on his on the work he has to do. Um, so was it an anomaly? Like a, what? Just one of those days? Um, they've had they've got Kevin Sinfield, who's now skills coach. And they've had Andrew Strawbridge in camp, who's now gone home. He's gone Zealand, home, but he's yeah. been he was there for a month to to work with Richard Wigglesworth and Kevin Sinfield on England's attacking skills. Um, they've scored six tries so far, this Six Nations. And, and while they've looked, they've, they've attacked with more purpose and more pace, and they've moved the ball better, they've scored six tries. In these same three fixtures last year, they scored 11 tries. Mm. Now, I wouldn't advocate England going back to only playing a kick-pressure game because I think it's limiting... And so I would want to give them time to evolve this because you can... My, my feeling last year was the way that England played meant that their game was set by the quality of the opposition. So South Africa, they, they, yeah, the rain helped, but they played to a level that pushed the box to the limit. Samoa, Fiji, Argentina, they ended, England, and all those games were tight. They were like less than a, less than a converted try in them. So I think that game was so limiting that they need to have a variety in how they play so that the opposition don't know what's coming. You know, the, I mean, the Scotland's first try is a great example of 
of all eyes on Finn Russell and he doesn't get the ball and, and, and they're through. England need more variety in what they do in order to become more threatening and that will take time. I, I think we have to appreciate that. But what I couldn't understand was why why everything was off by a, a beat. All the timing was, was wrong. The execution was wrong. And you haven't seen England play like that before. So maybe, hopefully, it was just an aberration. But it, it is alarming. So the next statistic that the players will tell you, which is absolutely factually correct, is that England had won eight of the last nine games and it's now eight and ten. What is interesting, though, is that we've got to 19 tests in the Steve Borsman era and his victories have been two against Italy, three against Wales, two against Argentina, Japan, Samoa, Chile and Fiji. And his defeats have been two times Scotland, two times Ireland, France, Wales, Fiji, South Africa. So, And he's only once beaten a team who'd been ranked above England in the rankings. Yeah, that first pool game of the World Cup. And by beating Argentina, they dropped down like a stone to 10th because of other results on that weekend and everything else. So my, my question is... If if a gun-for-hire head coach had come in to replace Eddie Jones and had a record of staring down the barrel of two from five, six nations, a par, let's say, performance at the World Cup, which is worse than the one before, that's just a fact, would they be under more pressure? Yeah, well, yes, they probably would. Mm. They probably would. Um, I, I think that there's a... I think there's a sympathy for the for what Steve Borthwick inherited, I and mean, we're going back away now. But he inherited a, a basket case of a of a team that wasn't functioning, and he just took a, a narrow route one approach to to eke out as much as he could from that World Cup, which is why, as I said earlier, it was a standalone project. And now he's starting fresh, and this project is two wins and, and one ugly defeat. So if you look at it like that, it's not it's not necessarily um, devastating. It's simply that there's an impatience from wearing that have been really since they, they won the title with some really ugly rugby in 2020, they won the title. Since then, it, there's just been uh, building after building and not, not ever getting anywhere. So yeah, I think, I think a big gun for hire coach would be under more pressure, but they would also have to recognise where, where England are. England have lost um, significant experience, big name players. I mean, Courtney would still be in this team now, yeah, playing absolutely. at, at Blindside Lanka and would make a huge difference, there's no question. And Owen Farrell. And, and Owen would definitely be playing too. Um, so this is, a, this is a new start. And it is one of those situations, however, where you can take the, the stats how you want them. Like, they, they've, they've had one significant win under Steve Borthwick, which was a statement win against Argentina first up, when they did think on their feet and they did react to adversity. And it was really impressive. And then the semi-final was a defeat, but for an hour it was really impressive against the double world champions. But then you look at... They've also shipped a record number of points at home to France. They suffered the first ever defeat by Fiji, who are a good team, but it was the first ever defeat by Fiji at home. And then they and they've they haven't you know Steve has overseen half of this run again in the Calcutta Cup, which hasn't happened for over a hundred years, mm. and scraped Italy and scraped it, Wales. It, yeah, I mean, I think there is I think there's a sympathy for him, which he needs to eke out as long as he can for the situation. But I I, I do feel that he's up against it because the fixture list is is unrelenting. They got. Ireland at home, who are a perfect record and galloping towards this Grand Slam. France might be a chance because they're in, they seem in all sorts of trouble at the moment. Japan against uh, Eddie's new team, first up on tour, a chance. Then three consecutive tests against the All Blacks, bridging into November. And then South Africa. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it, this is Bruce. When's he going to test rugby? It's test, absolutely. Yeah. I think perhaps what might end up being the hallmark of his regime is how he manages the evolution of this team up against the the, the, the tough fixture list that he has. When does he when does he settle on who his fly half is? And if it's Marcus Smith, if it's Finn Smith, when does he play him in this run of of tough opponents? When does he bring in Chandler Cunningham South? When does he start a Faye Waboso? How does he manage that? If he can build this team 
through this challenging run of fixtures, and that could end up being one of the biggest achievements that he that he brings with England. But it's it's daunting, and they, and he's starting still from rock bottom, and that that's the I think the problem. Long winded answer here, but England don't feel any further. The context has changed, the situation has changed, but England still where they were a year ago, which is bumbling along in the lower reaches of the Six Nations. And then, just to cap off this section, Ireland <laughs> at Twickenham. And like before the tournament, I thought if there's possibly a team who could come up with a one-off game plan to beat Ireland, it's actually England. But the context changes every week in this tournament. And now you're looking at it going like, blimey, that could be as bad as the France one, 53-10. I mean, Scotland have got Ireland left too, and we'll get on to Ireland, but that looks a hell of a fix to have it next. Does, it does. I, I don't see either of those teams. I'm not going to say they won't trouble Ireland, but I don't see Ireland losing it, either of those teams or coming close to losing no, either of those games, no. frankly. No. no. Okay, well, why don't we park our Scotland-England chat there and get on to the utter madness that was the end of the Italy-France match. Um, but we'll have a little advert break first and get into that. Okay, so from the Doohan Sublime to the Lille Ridiculous, what a game that was, Mark, in the Pierre Marois. So just to talk it through for people who haven't quite fully caught up on a Monday morning yet, 13 all... Paolo Garbisi has a penalty with the last kick of the game to win for Italy's first away win in France ever. And he tees it up, shot clock starts going. 30, 29, 28, 27, ball falls off the tee. No idea how, because it's an indoor stadium with the roof closed. As as John Westerby nicely put in his, his piece today, maybe all the French fans were blowing <laughs> together. Um, so ball falls off the tee. Everyone panics. The French come forward, which we we'll get on to. Um, he respots the ball with eight, nine, seven, six seconds left. Composes himself, take a breath, hits it left-footed, hits the post. Ball ends up coming out. Draw. Simple what on earth that. was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Garbisi's defence. I mean, the, the the conversion he just nailed to um, to bring them level was an absolute beauty. It was. Uh, and um, I was actually actually messaged him last night. Trying to trying to get a reaction out of him out about the name drop about the uh, well about the uh, um, the circumstances of that penalty and the um, and the, the French charge or however you want to call it. He was being resolutely di- diplomatic about it, but uh, you know it did look like it probably should have been respotted. Um, and you know with that, who knows? I was watching it thinking if Wayne Barnes was the ref here, he would have just. I always go back to that France Wales game few years back when the 100 minute game the 100 minute game where he but he managed that scrum chaos and France gaming the system and all that just managed it perfectly because he's mm. got just applied his legal brain to it and I just thought there that if if Wayne Barnes had been in charge he, he'd have known what to do immediately the, the, the procedure the protocols would have just kicked in um, because uh, earlier in the day earlier on Saturday <coughs> over in, in Ireland there was a, a, mo- a moment when the shot clock had started for penalty and um, the penalty spot got moved. So the ref just took, just turned the shot clock off. Mm. That's what should have Once that ball fell over, yeah. not because it fell over, but because the others had advanced, the shot clock should have, should have gone off, I think. And he should have been allowed to, to retake it. And, you know, <clears throat> the, the, the what ifs here, but France could be not from the three. I know. If it wasn't for referees and, and, um, and protocols, you know, they, Scotland were, were denied that win against them up here at Murrayfield, and 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 now they've kind of got away with a draw. Um, you know, I, I think that the shot clock is proving to to work. Like I think it's, if anything, it should be shorter, it should be quicker. Um, but what a, I mean, what a great performance from from Italy to even get that far. I mean, I was thinking, like, like John Westerby was there, and I was thinking it's one of those games where you. You're filing just behind the, the fourth wall, if you like. You're, you're writing through the game with these with these matches to do an on the whistle report, and then this happens, and like pretty much the top half of what you've just written for over 80 minutes in the bin has, has gone because you're, this is the story. But it shouldn't be the only focus, I don't think, yep. because of the way that Italy came back into it and maybe took advantage of Dante being sent off is is worthy of, of praise as well. Just. Because we've mentioned the, the kicking thing. So let's just 
briefly read you a couple of World Rugby laws. So if the kicker indicates to the referee the intent is to kick a goal, the opposing team must stand still with their hands by their sides from the time the kicker starts to approach the kick until the ball is kicked. So there was the moment when the ball fell off and the French players come and advance and even there's a water boy on there as well and then don't retreat. So then what should have happened is the next bit of the, the law. If the opposing team infringes while the kick is being taken but the kick at the goal is successful, the goal stands and a further penalty is not awarded. If the kick is unsuccessful, so this scenario, the non-offending team is awarded a penalty 10 metres in front of the original mark. So, the Wayne Barnes of this world should have known their lawn book and said, look, you've advanced the penalty, you shouldn't have been able to do that, let's respot the ball 10 metres further on and they would have had their chance and he couldn't have missed from there. <laughs> so, <No. laughs> but anyway, so, we, so, we, so we've done the kick. I think one of us might have said, I can't remember who it was, so I'm not trying to be all false humble if it was me, but um, there, there is a win in this Italy team somewhere and they should have had one. But that, that was, and we know that France have seriously dipped, but that was a really amazing effort from them. It was, and I think we'd seen in their the first couple of games, well, certainly the, the England game, a real kind of queer impression of what the game that, that Gonzalo Cazada's trying to have them put out there. And, you know, that, that was the, the queerest expression of it yet in terms of the, the ability to kind of show variety, you know, from the, the Keenan Crowley days of running it from everywhere. They've still got that in them, as they showed with Capoz's try and the performance from Menoncello on the wing. But there's a lot more control to them now. Um, and, you know, that forward pack is, he's, he's, he's rekindled some of those traditional values. Giuliani was excellent over ball yesterday, winning the, the turnovers. They just, they feel more substantial now. And, you know, they've, they've Scotland at home, then go to Cardiff, seen as that great win in 2022. They will feel that there's still something tangible for them to claim this championship. Yeah, and absolutely. the night before. Exactly. The, their under 20s beat, beat France. Away from home. Away yeah. from home. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, d- there is almost the opposite to Scotland. There is there's a, the success at under twenty seven in Italy, which gives real hope that this that, that there's something building, and that there is more than you know. In a year, few years time, there'll there'll be more than just maybe a win in in Italy. That you know, maybe there'll be a couple of wins, and 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 there seems to be a bit of depth. Within the, within Italian Big and I think, you know, they're starting to see the fruits of some of the building blocks that are put in place, probably as far back as our own Franco Smith, who's now here at Glasgow Warriors in Scotland, who, um, who was kind of their high performance director. And when he was in charge of the national team, gave a lot of these guys their caps, probably, you know, from what we've seen from the outside at too early a stage, but they've now got two, three years of international rugby under their belt. You can see that there's been a real adaptation there. And I think, as I say, under a coach with a, a slightly more pragmatic game plan, you can see it coming to the boil. And with, with those players coming through the system, getting more exposure in, in better Benetton and Zebra teams as well, that's a, a, an important point. You know, that, that it does feel that there's a momentum there yeah, now. Yeah, and like the opposite of Scotland in that they're, they're picking up you know, Dogru is injured at the moment, yeah. but Paolo Dogru is there. Louis Lyon has just, just signed for Italian rugby effectively. Matt Gallagher. Gallagher, but they, but they also have a pathway that seems to be working. And, yeah. and if you can strike that balance, it's really, really it's really important. heartening, isn't it? Like, it's, it was, it wasn't good that they were losing all those games for anyone. Not good for Italian rugby, not good for Six Nations, not good for the endless stories. Like, there should be more of a meritocracy, but it's it's just so much better that Italy are properly competing now. Isn't Can it? you imagine how amazing it would be? Sorry, to, are you about to answer that question? We we referred to the England Argentina World Cup game, and you know, when the Pumas, that Latin passion for their for their sport, when the Pumas are playing, and the Pumas fans in the in the stands are, are jumping and singing, imagine what Stadio Olimpico would be like for a day when you know when they can England can go and they can beat England and. The place would be like, properly hostile. And, yeah. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> G- give it a couple of weeks, mate. But they, uh, <laughs> I, be- I believe they're up to just about seventy thousand tickets for that game already mm. for Scotland. Mm. And you know, again, buoyed by that performance, yeah. you've got you got to imagine that it will shift a few more. You know, it's not a huge leap of the imagination to to think of that game being close. And you know, Italy will feel they've got a right good chance now as well. So. Yeah, it could, could be an interesting weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that would, I mean, like not to tell you this, Mark, but that would be so Scotland, wouldn't it? hundred <laughs> percent. To go and lose in Italy. And then beat Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, right, so should we do two minutes on France? Because they're almost becoming the story of the Six Nations, yeah. aren't they? This utter collapse. I mean, what on earth is going on there? I mean, do we know? I mean, it's not getting rid of that ball at the end. I mean, obviously they were trying to score. And there was that bit in the Netflix series of like Don, 
I won't, I won't. <laughs> attempt the Wigan Frongley. Just kick yeah. the ball off the field, guys. But what is going on there? Well, I guess in, on Saturday and Sunday in particular, they, they had a Jonathan Dante sent off and Jalabert went off. So those circumstances don't don't help you. But I think, you know, and obviously Dupont, the best, play, the best player is not there. But I... Got but into the semis of the sevens. Got into the semis of the sevens, yeah. yeah. Um, he, he looks amazingly good at that already. Uh, Dupont, just a just wonderful rugby player. But um, I think maybe because the language barrier and perhaps we haven't focused enough on how many changes happen behind the scenes with France and the, so many of the coach, the key coaches um, left after the World Cup to go into club rugby and you know, and uh, Rafael Ibanez has had his role changed. I think he was really important. Um, so at the moment, they've got Galtier still there and Sean Edwards still there, but the rest has changed. And I think the dynamic in the camp has changed. Um, a lot of what you hear is that the assistant coaches were, you know, were doing a lot of the coaching and a lot of the communicating with the players. And now that has shifted and Galtier is a bit more hands-on with the players and so there's a lot of there's been a lot of change behind the scenes that perhaps we haven't sort of reflected well enough because I think that that looks to me like it's been key because the mindset of the team is, seems so different it does and it's surely too, although it will be an element it's surely too simplistic to put it down to a kind of post-World Cup fug because you know we're now three games into the Six Nations so and, you know, they were error strewing and, and disappointing at Murrayfield. Obviously, the first game was a disaster. And then, you know, not much better yesterday. So, yeah, there's not many signs of life, really, which well, is surprising. I can think, I can understand that the World Cup would have knocked stuffing out of them. Mm. You know, it was so big, such a big event and such an enormous disappointment to, to go out the stage they did. But that's coaching. Coaching is to, you know, you use, you use that. Yeah. As fuel, as yeah. fuel, you, yeah. that becomes a like we've got a point. We, we, we don't let's not be measured by that. Let's be measured by the team that won the slam. Let's go and do that again. You know, Ireland are in the same boat. They've had a lot less disruption, and they've got a player in Jack Crowley who's just stepped in and picked up where Johnny Sexton left off and is playing beautifully from outside of the Leinster bubble and has slotted in perfectly. But they've had a lot less disruption. They've they've just used that setback as in exactly the right way, and they are miles ahead. Yeah, they've at gone the to another level again, haven't they? Everyone else. Yeah. Well, why don't we we do a bit of Ireland Wales after uh, another little break? But yeah, there's already been talk that if if France don't win another game in the Six Nations, that Galtier could be gone, which is extraordinary, isn't it? Like Bernard Jackman, friend of our pod, who was on it last week, was saying that like, there's already mood music in France that. He could lose his job at the end of the tournament if it's not a good one, which it would be an unbelievable story. But well, all we need, all we need, is a player revolt just for the whole, <laughs> just for the whole kind of thing to, be, to, the to be perfectly French. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so right, okay, let's have a little break and then we'll go into a bit of Ireland Wales. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Ireland-Wales, 31-7. Really routine for Ireland. Three from three. I suppose the question now is, how do they mess it up from here? Really? We talked about do. the England game, but I don't, I don't, think, they me- I don't like think they messed it up from cruising. Here. I think that they are a well-oiled groove machine. Um, Is that a no? <laughs> Sounds oh, like sorry. a nineties sort of. It uh, was. I suddenly got the Wonder Stuff album in my head. <laughs> Eight legged groove machine. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. They're the modern. They're, yeah. Uh, yeah. One, if the Wonder Stuff released their album now, they'd call it the well-oiled groove machine of Irish rugby. Um, Andy Farrell and the group machine. <laughs> they are, they are the one, they? They're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, they don't mess it up from here. They, they are, yeah. I'm not sure there've been many Six Nations. Maybe back when England were dominant, where there's such a gap between them and everyone else. But there, there wasn't because England would lose one of those games invariably. There was a oh, yeah. Three, there was didn't. a year when, when England did the slam. Oh three. Yeah, that was that was the most um, wide points difference slam, if that makes sense. As yeah. in, they beat everyone convincingly. Yeah, so there you go. Twenty, there's been twenty championships since then. Yeah, and like, just I mean, to, to cruise to a double slam. Yeah, feels like we should note that. Like I know oh, we're two games away from it, but that would be utterly extraordinary, wasn't it? Been, I was looking at it. So been in twenty championships since England won the World Cup. So I was looking at it through an England perspective. But there've been eleven slams in those twenty years. England have won one of them. But the but to so it's not it happens roughly once every two years, but not for the same team. Yeah. Um. I mean, Wales have won four in that period, so it's you know incredibly difficult feat to win a slam, to go back to back slams, um, and to do it so easily. As but it's a, as a like, it's it's an obvious point to make, but it's beating everyone at home. And then having a whole year, and then beating everyone, everyone away. away. Yeah, that—that's—that's that's just so remarkable. It is, and you know, as I think we talked about Bernard last week when he was mentioning his, his pal on the Italian coaching team who just couldn't identify a single weakness in the prep. You're, you're, you're sitting there going, "I'm sure, I'm sure they may be dead, or potential areas." Then we're not able to exploit any of them. But you know, there isn't an obvious chink in the armor. It's just such a good sight, and there's so many layers to it, and different ways that they can go. You know, and I think they've gone to another level in that power game in this Six Nations, so that you're now, you know, what was a two a two division Six Nations with Ireland and France in the rest is now very much Ireland in the rest. So yeah, I mean, McCart—they're in this dream situation that, that the All Blacks. Had- you always look to the All Blacks of being in where they're settled and they know who they are and they know what they do. So you can drop in a new player and they just that they're they're carried they're swept along by what's mm. around them. And I know that doesn't quite work as a, as the ten because you're the you're the guy who's running the show. But Jack Crowley's benefited from dropping into a a, a team that is functioning and understands itself. Um, McCarthy has just added something second row wise. Like what a beast he is. I think it just yeah, we were having one of those kind of lions conversations as you do over dinner on Saturday night. It's like, wow, McCarthy, if George Martin can be fit. Like, there's some. How many non-Ireland players get in? Like Fifty. I mean, yeah, I mean, hardly... <laughs> some Scots though on current form, wouldn't there? A couple, but geez, it's uh... yeah. Do- Duan would probably get in. Finn. Well, it depends when you pick it. Is it that? I mean, anyway, let's not go down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but you know, Crowley. My, my, I guess my point is they are they they can. They've had a couple of changes since you know, injuries and whatever, and retirement since the World Cup. But they, they can just—they're so settled and they're so sure of them of their identity and how they play and who they are that you can drop a new player in, and they just flourish. And where, where England are is they're dropping new uh, new players into a system that no one yet understands. Mm. And where Wales are is they're dropping a whole team together. Yeah. And then, like weirdly, yeah, the naught from three. And everything you read and write and hear about Wales is like, oh, not bad. Which is such an odd... It's all context is king in the Six Nations, isn't it? But Yeah, so that, so that game, like at half-time, 
I um okay, so bef- <laughs> before the game we were we were watching it at Murrayfield and I looked at the odds and we were having a chat about and, I, and Wales were fourteen to one to win that game. And I never thought they'd win the game, but fourteen to one, I was like, incredible. Mm. So I put much. I put a couple of quid on it, um, just for like one in case one of those like lightning bolt days happens. And then at half time, it's like it's one way traffic, and I had a, and I yeah you know, I think my winnings would have been seventy five quid if Wales had won. Um, They're offering me eighty four p to cash out at half time. So, so for comedy value, I cashed out half time and took my eighty four p back, and then Wales went and scored, and I was like, this this could, this, this could be one of the great stories yeah. for Wales, and also one of the like worst days. For <laughs> but they didn't quite have enough to get over the line. But in in the gamble response, in the by Scot- the way, yeah, <laughs> when the fun stops, stop. In the Scotland game, they were way off the pace mm. for the first half, and then came storming back, as we know. They were way off the pace again and then got themselves together. And if, just from a Wales perspective, I, I would be looking at those two second halves as evidence of what, what does exist yes. within that team. And they're so young. Um, like so young. Some of the players walk off and you're like, wow, are they? It's like they that should, Liverpool team. Should have been playing, should have been playing in the, in the under 20s game last night. I mean, a lot of them could have been. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, the context is very different. Gatland will get, will get them. He'll forge them into something over the course of 12 months. I'm sure he will. And here's a theory. Wales end the Six Nations with the same record as England. Beat France at home next week. France in in the gutter. And then they go and win the death match against Italy. Two from five. Not bad. Yeah, I can can see that. Context is king. I can see that. Funny. That's, That's feasible. That is feasible. So there you go. Right, that's that's been our, our rattle through the, the three fixtures over the weekend. Um, so we will do a bit of God, God us of the weekend. We might delve into one email as well. We've got an email. Someone's emailed us. Amazing. But we'll do that after this. Okay. So as we mentioned, we we one of you has emailed us, which is just brilliant. Um, the Ruck at the Times UK, and we did sort of touched on it briefly, but we've got Craig's emailed us. He said, I've got a question for your pod. Does world rugby have an issue with referees? Scotland, France, obvious. Um, Italy on the final whistle. Wales, Ireland had an issue with Wales getting pinged for a squint feed and then Ireland didn't. Uh, World Cup was played with bad decisions. So we we did touch on it. But is there there a little... Some of the most senior refs are not doing lots of these games. I don't know. Is there an issue of refereeing we're having here? We don't want to go too deep on them. I don't think there's an issue with... Not an issue, as in a conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. I think think first Six Nations after a World Cup, the referee's manager will look at it in the same way as all the coaches are looking at it. That this is, you know, there's another four-year cycle. They, they, They need to get the younger referees... Game time, frankly. I quite like the idea of um, Joel Jute doing a press conference where going like, oh, it's a four-year cycle, it's just, we're guys. Building. Just pl- pray for patience. <laughs> we're just building. J- judge us on the next World judge Cup. Judge us at 27. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's a similar approach. It's a similar approach. Um, you know, I would have... Some of the appointments are um, not what you might have expected. Um, I think, you, you, you know, obviously Wayne Barnes isn't around to do games now but I think they, they could have had some bigger names more established referees doing some of the bigger fixtures um, and it, when you don't you, you're going to get you're going to get some inconsistency or, or some errors I don't think Craig is Craig Scottish he's probably feeling a bit miffed Scottish, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's a conspiracy but yeah. they, they've definitely I'd be interested to see who gets rugby championship games because if they mm. get if they get all the number ones then um, then I, I think maybe we do have a problem. But if if the, the if the appointments are consistent through Six Nations and Rugby Championship, then I, I think we have to understand that we need to be we need to be bringing through as many good referees as we can. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, why, why don't we clean up and and leave out? Well, thanks for your email, Greg. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Yeah. And if anyone else wants to email, theruckatthetimes.co.uk or use your places. Um, let's do some gods, goddesses, devils. Are you going to go with I can go <laughs> with your man? Who's getting in first? Yeah. Who's getting in first to pick Duhan? I'm going to grab Duhan now. <laughs> okay. um, 
sitting in the Scottish capital, I'm, I'm calling dibs. Um, yeah, a very obvious one, but, you know, a history maker in the, in the strictest sense of the term. He's now, he's individually four from four against England, so clearly the difference maker. Five tries in two games against yeah, England. Yeah, well. six over the piece because he, yeah. he scored the only try in the, the COVID win at Twickenham as well, so oh, yeah. uh, it's just, um, a remarkable record, truly. So, and his uh, average distance of scoring those tries will be pretty impressive massive, too. Yeah. And he's, as we should point out, he's only one short of Stuart Hogg's record now as well. Already? So, yeah, he's wow. on twenty-six in thirty-seven, I think. It is, and Hogg got hundred caps on the nose, yeah, didn't exactly. he? Exactly. So, wow, you could have Duhan going past that easily in under forty caps. So, yeah, quite quite the prospect. That is incredible, isn't it? Okay, Alex, a, a, um, a god goddess, something else. So that uh, I. <laughs> One of the things I enjoyed the most last week was watching the Wallabies documentary. Now, there have been a lot of rugby documentaries out recently. The Whistleblowers one on the referees um, is oh, is worth a watch. That's that f- f- film through the World Cup. That's really good. Um, but the Wallabies one is, if, if you can find a way of watching it, I've managed to watch all three episodes. It is, it is really good. Um, follows them from Eddie joining as head coach through to the end of the World Cup. And it is, you may have seen some clips fl- floating around social. It's car crash <laughs> TV at times. Um, they obviously slightly, well, put it this way, they don't interview the, the Sydney Morning Herald journalist, Tom Decent, who broke the story about Eddie joining Japan. So, um, which he's already, uh, put out there, but it doesn't take away you, because you know what's, what's happening. It doesn't really take away anything. Um, it's good. It's raw, actually. And by all accounts, the, there's a lot that had to come out. Not, not that Rugby Australia took out, but the, the producers were like, we can't, <laughs> we can't. <laughs> it was kind of, it sounds like it was pretty crazy days behind the scenes. So, um, I'm just going to nominate the makers of that because if you get a chance to watch it, you, you should. It's good. Okay. Good nomination. Good a little bit left field, but we like it. That's good. Mine's going to be straight up and down as he played, I suppose, on the weekend. Um, Kaylin Doris, who's, Probably in your world 15. I can't believe that a certain ruck podcast didn't put any Irishman in their team of 2023, which is just outrageous. And I feel like it should be cancelled immediately, but we'll make up for it, sorry, for, by picking Caelan Doris this week, because he was awesome. Um, and he, you would expect will enjoy a, a pretty decent day at Twickenham too. He's become an unbelievable back row, hasn't he? Like, if, yeah, like, quality. it's very early for our Lions chat, but he looks like a name and unless he's injured, he's certainly in the, in the plane and almost certainly in the back rows. Yeah, and yeah. I, do you know what? I'd like to know more about him. One of the great yeah. frustrations of covering rugby is Ireland are so... Closed off. Closed off from telling their own stories. That He's a really interesting, intelligent, mm. articulate guy and I'd love to know more about him. I, I think he, he could be... He could grow into one of the great players of the, of the era. I just wish they'd open the doors up a little bit more and let people realise what a special guy he is. Never mind what... What a good player he is. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, that has been our week three moving week ruck. We've done it. We're through. We've got a couple of rounds to go. Fallow week. What's everyone up to? Apart from just trying to get home. It's a bit of train chaos for us, which you're all going to be so sympathetic to us for. Everyone, uh, well, a, England are training in York. In York. Yeah, that's quite, um, that's good of them. It's on the same line, Alex. You can just stop off. Same, yeah. yeah. Outreach. They're, they're there <laughs> Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think. So yeah. a bit of outreach from them. In the north, it's a stadium, they're training at the same stadium where, uh, which is being used for the Women's World Cup next year, um, which is, which is, I think, part of it. But so we'll probably end up going to York, uh, for a day or two. Um, otherwise, we'll just sit. Mark's and just chilling out, sunny Edinburgh. Look make at that. make the Look. most of these follow weeks because they're, they're not going to be around for long, or well, at least one so, of them won't. Yeah, true. They're, they're, they're being ditched from 2026, so. There'll, be, there'll only be one follow week from them. No Scotland access for us this week, so we're going to need to make no. our own fun. Staggering. Nothing. Nothing. That so, is that is outrageously I mean, bad. I mean, wow. Even Netflix, who were paying for access, struggles. But that is remarkable that they could be on for a, a title, possibly, and they don't want to speak to the media. But there you go. One for another day. Um, but thank you, everyone, for listening to our, our Ruck this week. We'll be back next Monday. We'll be back every Monday, as always. But for now, we'll say thank you to Mark for hosting us in a lovely country and putting the sun on for us and then beating the England team. Always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex, safe journey home, mate. And, and um, thank you all for listening. If you wanted to email, obviously, theruckatthetimes.co.uk. But otherwise, follow, subscribe, tell all your friends, and tune in next week. But for now, see you later.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.